Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, series 2, episode 10. In the show, we like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. Before we start, do remember any resources or references that we mention in the episode can be found in the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 210. To kick off today's show, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever picked up a book and wondered at its inception and how all the parts came together to become a treasured part of your collection? Well, in today's show, we have the answer to that question, as we have a special guest for you to meet, Mr. Mike Collins. No, not my own Mike Collins, but Mike Collins, Publications Director at Cork University Press on the banks of the River Lee in University College Cork here in Southern Ireland. We're delighted to get time to speak with Mike as he publishes books in Irish studies, including history, sociology, Irish language, politics, art, theatre and landscape studies. And recently, some books that you listeners and our Green Room members have been telling us how much you love. Many of our listeners will be familiar with their wonderful Atlas of the Irish Famine and their recent Atlas of the Irish Revolution. And that last book is the chief reason we've asked Mike into studio today. Also, we get to ask Mike about his own Irish heritage, growing up in England with Irish parents and eventually upping sticks and returning to Ireland with his wife and young family. So, let's hear now from Mike Collins, Cork University Press, and my own Mike Collins from a letterfromireland.com. Make sure you're sitting comfortably and sit back, listeners, and enjoy the chat. Right, folks, um, I am absolutely delighted to have with me uh, a gentleman by the name, uh, which you might be familiar with already. His name is Mike Collins, the same as my own. And Mike is actually the, a publishing director, I think that's the correct term, that's of right. the Cork University Press. And the Cork University Press has been on a blinding run just recently, and they have brought out an astonishing book, an astounding atlas of the Irish Revolution. It's astonishing a number of different levels. Number one, because of its content, and number two, its sheer dimensions and weight. So through the rest of the uh, this episode of the Letter from Ireland show, I'd like to have a chat with Mike around the particular atlas, Cork University Press, and a little bit of his own Irish background as well. So welcome, Mike. Great to have you here. It's great to be here, Mike. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should just start off, uh, as I said, in a few moments we'll have a chat about the um, the Atlas itself of the Irish Revolution, which I think, uh, you know, this this podcast is coming out around Easter time, so it's a very appropriate subject at that point in time. But maybe just before that, if we could just have um, a chat around how you came to be living here in Cork and actually working with the Cork University Press. Okay, okay, Mike. Um, I was working in Norwich for a big scientific publisher called Elsevier. 
And after that, I moved to Bath to run the publishing operation of the Geological Society of the UK, which was the first geological society in the world, founded in 1807. And I was there for about 12 years, and I'd always had an idea of maybe moving back to Ireland into publishing. But the publishing scene in Ireland isn't as extensive as in the UK. So I was looking through the Bookseller magazine, which is the trade magazine for publishers in the UK, and I saw an advertisement for a sales and marketing director at Cork University Press. So I had a discussion with the family, and we decided it would be a good move. So um, off we went and arrived in Ireland the day before Euro Changeover Day. So we were able to go straight from Stirling to the Euro and uh, never needed to bother about the Irish punt. So you were probably ahead of most of the locals at that point who were just kind of confused and scratching their heads. You were just saying, well, it's just, hey, it's just a change for us. That's okay. That's right. And uh, we were kind of astonished to see all these Euro change calculators arriving at everyone's in doorstep. And uh, for us, it was kind of a good time to arrive because of that. We just missed one currency out and migrated to the Euro. So that must have been 12 or 13 years ago, was it, or a little yeah. bit more at this point? 2002. Oh, excellent. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned Norwich there, for example, and Bath, which are both in England. And uh, you yourself actually were born and brought up in England, if, if I have that right. That's right. Uh, however, your mum and your dad basically both come from Ireland. And did they meet in England or were they familiar with each other over here already before they moved over there? No, they met in England. They both moved over. My mum's from County Limerick and my dad's from County Clare. And whereabouts uh, in Limerick and Clare? Uh, A village called Hospital in Limerick. And my dad is from East Clare from a town called Scariff. The home of Irish music, or one of them anyway. And they both emigrated in the early 1950s and then my dad he he did what many families did chain migration he brought his two younger brothers over and they lived with my mum and dad once they got married so they met my parents met in Stafford which is between Stoke-on-Trent and Birmingham it's a market town of about 60,000 people so although my dad came from a farming background, he, like many others, went into the building trade. And so he met my mother, um, who was visiting her father, who had moved over at the same time from hospital in County Limerick. Um, and so my dad met my mother at my father's. They were both sharing the same um, accommodation. Oh, very good. And, and tell me, Mike, what were some of the, because we do like to focus on Irish surnames uh, here on the show. So apart from Collins, which is a fantastic surname, by the way, <laughs> uh, what were some of the other surnames in your Irish family tree? What yeah. are they? Uh, my, on my dad's side, it's Collins and his mother was called McMahon, which is a good Clare name. Absolutely. Yeah. And on my mother's side, it was Cregan. That was my mother's father, a, a very strong Limerick name, and her mother's side were the O'Sullivans. And tell me, uh, I suppose as a young guy yourself and your your own siblings, sister and brother, growing up, 
were you aware of being in an Irish household in England? Yes, we were, because um, there was a big, strong Irish community in Stafford. So there was an Irish club and all the Irish people tended to socialise together. And on particular events like Patrick's Day, we would get the shamrock and the badges sent over from Ireland. And on Christmas, we'd get the turkey, the black pudding, the ham and the sausages from the grandfather's farm in East Clare. Um, so when my parents listened, listened to Irish music and followed Irish news, so listened to the Irish radio, so it was very much being brought up in an Irish community within the UK. And were you, were you brought back to Clare and Limerick on an irregular basis anyway to re-establish the roots as you grew up? Yes, every two years we'd go back to stay on the farm in, in Scariff and then we do day trips to see uh, my other grandfather in hospital in Limerick. Lovely. And I, I, I guess kind of the other thing that strikes me is given the subject matter that you're looking at now, like the Atlas of the Irish Revolution, was there a sense in your household of that history as well? You know, the sense of, let's say, the time from the famine, the revolution, or sorry, the I suppose the Easter Eisen, I should say, um, civil war, all of that. Or, you know, was it kind of kept way, way in the background or was it there in the foreground? Were you aware of it again growing up? I was aware of, of what was happening in, in Northern Ireland because it, it was so much dominated the news. But in terms of, say, history in, that you learnt in uh, English schools, there was no Irish content at all. So there was nothing about the Irish famine, there was nothing about the Civil War, there was nothing about 1916. Whereas in Irish history, of course, uh, which is the system I would have come up through, there's plenty of mention of England there. That's right, yeah. <laughs> it's just a slightly different yeah. perspective. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess uh, just just to, buy, just to buy the way as well, um, you yourself now have lived here permanently for all that time and your own uh, your own kids themselves have more or less grown up in Ireland at this That's point. Right. And I know your wife has recently actually officially become an Irish citizen as well. That's it. She so, was born in Yorkshire and with the oncoming Brexit, um, we thought it was a good opportunity for her to claim her Irish citizenship, which gotcha. makes travel, etc., all a lot easier. And was that a fairly straightforward process? Uh, how would you rate it kind of uh, going into it? Would, did you hopefully and think it was kind of going to be easier than it actually turned out or was it fairly straightforward? It was, anyway. well, it was well organized, but the amount of documentation you needed was incredible going back five years in terms of household bills, jobs. So it was quite an onerous task and all had to be signed off by a solicitor. Yeah, I mean, the reason I say that is just two shows ago, we did a feature on Irish citizenship and we had our own Courtney talking about her own kind of experiences of actually, um, you know, having Irish citizenship before she actually came over here to live with herself and her family and her kids and so on. And also we just looking at some of the... Uh, I suppose, kind of more famous individuals like Mel Gibson, you know, who have shared yeah. uh, Irish um, citizenship, along with US, for example. So it, I know it's a subject that's of uh, a lot of interest to a lot of our listeners. And I think it's uh, something we'll touch on a lot more on uh, future shows as well. Yeah. So, Mike, that kind of brings us into the idea of the uh, the atlases. And you seem to have a bit of a history in atlases, if you pardon the pun, in the sense that there was the Atlas of the Irish Famine, which uh, I guess that was pretty much kind of on your tenure. That's right, yeah. The gestation of that and so on. 
So what is it about this idea of atlases where you got that crossover between geography and history? What, what do you think it is that appeals to people, appeals to you in the first place and appeals to people in their presentation and the information they actually contain? I think it's the strong sense of place that Irish people have. They know all about their own parish, their own townland. And these atlases can bring out details, both in terms of geography and history, right down to that townland level. So it's very approachable for people to look up their own areas of interest. And the original atlas that we started with, which was just before my time, and it kind of broke new ground in in publishing. And which one was that? That was the Atlas of the Irish Rural Landscape, which was a, a, a really a groundbreaking work, and that sowed the seed then for further editions. So we did um, the Hook Peninsula, the Everard Peninsula, Wexford Town, New Grange, and the Atlas of the Great Irish Famine, and then more recently the atlas of the irish revolution and the atlas of the irish famine appears to be the one that really puts you on the radar i think of a lot of people around the world generally i know that a lot of our own um members certainly of the green room have been requesting that weighty tome across many many air miles (laughs) over the last couple of years and you know even as we speak there's you know, the first major movie representation of time of the famine with black 47 is coming out so, you know, do, do you think it's kind of something that an awareness is kind of coming back again around famine times and how it's represented? That's right, because up until we brought out the Atlas of the Great Irish Famine, the academics, there was a great silence from Irish academics. So any of the, the large works that were brought out about the famine were all published by authors overseas. So whether it was too soon for Irish authors to get involved in such a harrowing subject. But since the Atlas of the Great Irish Famine has come out, there's been a a lot more books on the subject. So we saw that book as laying the foundation and to being a jumping off point for further research in many different areas of the famine. You know, as a kind of a a black humour aside, um, you know, you say that kind of it was uh, maybe kind of not the right time and so on for people to be talking about things. Uh, Quite recently down in a town in the west of Ireland, one of the local entrepreneurs had the idea that they would reenact scenes from the famine, which involved things like bringing coffins uh, from out of, let's say, undertakers' places with kind of people dressed in the 1840s and so on. But people were just looking at him in horror That's with right. the general look. Not that time yet. No, no. <laughs> And, you know, it is something I think that's uh, very much in our psyche um, in that, you know, it's our great-grandparents, perhaps, um, certainly would have either heard stories or perhaps been directly involved, mostly heard, heard stories of that time. That's and right. And, Chan- that and Channel 4 in the UK wanted to bring out a comedy on the Irish famine, and the backlash was was yeah. huge, and they, they quickly cancelled the idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And which leads us on to the actual Atlas of the Irish Revolution, And can you tell us just a little bit about the gestation for the idea for this and just kind of how it actually came to be, Mike? Just maybe kind of map that out a little bit for us. Okay. Well, the Cork University Press and University College Cork were looking for a a way to um, look at the events of the Irish Revolution, especially now with this, we're in this decade of centenaries um, from 1913 up to 1923. So the idea was to look at the way we did the Atlas of the Great Irish Famine 
And so we had a team which, for the first time, we had more involvement involvement of UCC historians as well as geographers. So we, we produced a team, and probably about five years ago, they started looking at content. And the advantage of having it in-house in terms of at, at, at our own university is that to manage a project this complex, where there's over 105 authors, 984 pages, 700 illustrations, and 364 brand new maps, is that they needed to meet on a weekly basis. And so they did this for a number of years. And once they got to the stage of finalizing all the authors, agreeing on their content and their coverage, drawing up all the new maps, and there was so much new data coming out every day. And once all that was submitted to the press, then the idea was that it should be out by 2016 for the centenary of the Easter Rising. But fortuitously, the book grew and grew, and we had to delay it by a year. And that was fortuitous because I think during the 1916 centenary, uh, there were over 200 books about 1916 published. So there was somewhat of a fatigue of 1916 books. So when the Atlas of the Irish Revolution came out, we kind of had the whole field to ourselves. And this was the first book to cover the the whole revolutionary period, going back to pre-famine times. You know, Mike, you, you, you speak with a real um, calm and rational voice when you describe that gestation and the involvement of so many different people. But it appears to me it must have been like herding cats some of the time, if not all the time. I mean, that, that must have been just... It must go down in the actual history books themselves as just being such a complex thing to draw together. That's right. And the project goes at the speed of the slowest author. So you're always waiting for that final paper to come in or yeah. that final map to be drawn. Yes. And as new data comes out, you know, where do you draw the cutoff to say, that's it, we need to get this book published. And what period, if you could just remind us, what period does the actual atlas cover from roughly when to roughly when? Well, it covers pre-famine times mm -hmm. um, where Willie Smith sets the scene of the seeds of the Irish Revolution. And then that comes up to um, the Home Rule Crisis, uh, the Easter Rising, the formation of the Dáil in 1918, the War of Independence and the Civil War. And then the final few chapters look at how events of the revolution affected subsequent um, parts of Irish history up to about 1948. You know, and just looking there at the beautiful cover, the beautiful painting on the cover of the book itself, which um, I think is kind of essentially shows um, a, a part of the IRA flying squad from North Cork, a particular right. flying squad. And, you know, just as a personal note there, Karina's uh, own granddad, Timmy Donoghue, from uh, up North Cork himself, would have been a member of that extended group, you know. Right. And um, when he died at the ripe old age, I think he was about 102 at the time, um, he got the full regalia, you know, the tricolour and the coffin and the 21-gun salute and so on. But, you know, we were kind of talking earlier there about was there any mention of what was in your house and so on. But the thing about that particular point in time, and I remember it in my own family as well, these people didn't talk about those times. No. Because it was like the Civil War especially created a huge disconnect between then and now. And, you know, they weren't ready to talk about it in their lifetime, really. 
And so they didn't pass too many stories down, which is, I think, why a book like this just kind of digs up the past in such a respectful way and shares in a very appropriate way. It becomes a really important kind of reference point rather than just what had become, um, I suppose, an emotional touch point for so many people to, and a painful one. So if I look, let's say, my own mother and father, one from Galway, one from Cork, um, her family wore so-called blue shirts. So they're all De Valera side. One of them broke De Valera out of prison at one stage, got, you know, basically anti-treaty and so on. And then, of course, you have my father's side down with my Scork. They are all the opposite side. So you're talking about kind of uh, Michael Collins, IRA, etc. So, you know, it was best not to talk about certain things in our that, family, for example. That's right. Not to mention more politicized families. And even today we have, let's say, the in Ireland, we have the um, political parties, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, that are probably separated by a couple of inches in terms of policy, but in history, they're miles apart in people's minds. You That's know, right. Because they came out of those different kind of um, sides, I suppose, of the Civil yeah. War and pre-Civil War. And until I, we published the, the, the Atlas of the Irish Revolution, I didn't realise that Michael Collins was interned in my hometown of Stafford, in Stafford Prison. Oh, really? Okay. And it's something that my parents, they'd mentioned Michael Collins, but they'd never said that he was actually interned in Stafford Prison. That's amazing, yeah. So yeah. it's it's fascinating when you start to look what you see. That's right. Yeah, they're all there. And I'm actually just going to pick up the actual book. I'm, I'm, folks, I'm going to have to go over here, <laughs> put my full weight underneath the book here to lift it up because it is 5kg or thereabouts. And I'd like to read just the first paragraph of the introduction from our president, Michael D. Higgins, because I think it sets the scene very nicely as to what people can expect in the book. I tell you, you flick over any page in this book and it just sucks you in. The, the, the colour, the sense of what's that about, the information just really pops out, being that kind of atlas That's right, yeah. um, formation. Right, so this is from the foreword by President Michael D. Higgins. And it says, The Atlas of the Irish Revolution allows for a unique navigation of the rich, intricate and multi-layered context of Ireland's revol- revolution at the turn of the last century. This remarkable book is a compelling exploration of Ireland's struggle for freedom, a freedom that was at its most basic, a freedom from hunger and insecurity of tenure, but also included cultural and political freedom. The reader is brought on a journey, I do like that brought on a journey, through the days of agrarian agitation, home rule and the buoyancy of the cultural revival into the heart of the emblematic Easter week 1916 in Dublin. From there, we journey along the underground trails of the guerrilla warfare, of the War of Independence and the tragic Civil War. And I think that paragraph alone really sets the scene very well. It does. Yeah. So my congratulations on an absolutely fantastic achievement. And I suppose my question will be, is since the book has come out last September of last year, um, how is it being received? Well, it's... The booksellers called it the surprise hit of the year. Um, based on previous sales of the Atlas of the Irish Great Famine, um, we printed 800 copies, thinking that would last about 12 months. It actually lasted six weeks. Wow. So then we had to go back with a, a larger reprint of 14,000 copies. And we had to go through EU tender to get the, the best printing prices. So we printed in Italy 
And that 14,000 copies came in on 97 pallets and they went straight out to the bookshops. And by Christmas, they were all gone. So we've just reprinted an, an additional 4,000. So sales to date, approximately 23,000, which for a trade academic book is just incredible. I believe it actually received um, the Board Gosh Aaron Book of the Year. It received the best Irish published non-fiction book of the year. And then... That'll do. And then we had an overall prize, including non-fiction and fiction, and won the overall Irish book of the That's year. That's a fantastic achievement. You must have been delighted when that came through. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely fantastic, yes. And from your own personal point of view, do you have a favourite uh, either part of the actual atlas or a favourite aspect? I think what's unique about the access, atlas, apart from the, the visual element, is that the figures and the figure captions, the figure captions are almost mini essays. So you, there's such a lot of content in there. And a lot of the reviewers have picked this out. Uh, so an awful lot of work went into those figure captions to, to make sure that you could actually read a, a, a figure caption with its own figure and, and get a little story there, which would help you in your understanding of the Irish Revolutionary period. So it's almost like you can read the book or browse the book with a certain different layers That's it. as you go through. Fantastic. And yeah. because it goes down to parish level, you can hone in on your own family's parish and, and to see what was happening at the time. Uh, which is what we're all interested yeah, in. That's exactly. <laughs> Ireland is local. Yeah. So looking forward for yourself in Cork University Press, uh, what sort of projects do you have in the pipeline and would you like to see coming to fruition? Well, we're continuing with the Atlas series. So we're a good way through working on a coastal atlas of Ireland. And this has never been done before for a, for a whole country. And the beauty of Ireland is that it has such different shorelines that it can be used as a case study for much larger coastal areas in other countries. And so this atlas will cover not just geology and geography, but music, fish, fisheries, history, and will again be what we hope will be another fantastic atlas. That sounds absolutely compelling, to tell you the truth. You know, it's, it's, I think you're going to have a long and varied career <laughs> picking at different aspects uh, that can actually be presented in atlas format and to do with Ireland. So, Mike Collins, thank you very much for your time and uh, the best of luck in the future. I know that if you just kind of stop publishing in the morning, <laughs> uh, the achievements of these various atlases will actually be worth it alone. And um, where should people go to actually either kind of, well, obviously kind of get their hands on what you actually produce, but also I think you also have a section where uh, you can actually get people offered their ideas for what they'd like to see. Yeah, the best place to go is to our own website, which is uh, corkuniversitypress.com. And if you've got any ideas for books or if you want to buy the book, and there is a special code for Green Room members. So I think Mike will mention that a bit later. Thanks for mentioning that, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Right, Mike Collins, thank you very much. And folks, that's the Atlas of the Irish Revolution. This is a particular book you won't want to actually miss. It's out now. As Mike just says there, it is available to Greenwood members at 20% discount, but you can also actually get it directly on CorkUniversitypress.com and it is available uh, in a lot of actually reputable booksellers near to you. So, Mike, thank you again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to both Mike Collinses for that engaging chat. And Mike's publications certainly are the books of the moment. 
being what the booksellers refer to as a surprise hit of the year, and then going on to win book of the year is no mean achievement, and well-deserved too, we feel. I know I find myself dipping into those books, and time flies as you get drawn into what's happening in your own local parish or townland where you grew up. We Irish are very connected to a sense of place, and as Mike Collins said there, it is an engaging feature of these wonderful books. And doesn't Mike's vision and plans for future publications like the Coastal Atlas series make you want to buy those lovely books right now? And it's also thanks to Mike at Cork University Press that members in our green room on our bonuses page avail of 20% of all Cork University Press books and free shipping to anywhere in the world. Our real bonus, as some books are quite heavy and can be expensive to ship. It's been great to have you with us on today's show, but time is flying and that brings us to the end of our 10th episode on Series 2 on the Letter from Ireland show. I do hope you enjoy the chat and I look forward to having your company again next week. So everybody, slán till next week. That's goodbye in Irish. Slán galair. Goodbye to all. And míle buíochas. Many thanks, Mila Boykus, again, to Mike Collins for dropping by. Remember, listeners, we'd love to hear from you, and you can let your comments and check out more at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 210. Just before we go, thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called The Green Room. You can find full details of The Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. And remember there, green room is all one word. The Green Room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. It's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. You get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at aletterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Well, that's it for me, and I'll be back next week with another installment of The Letter from Ireland Show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán Karina. <laughs>